The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to The Shaleen Show. Shaleen has helped thousands with her books, seminars, and online academies. She's the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Push, and a mother of two. What the what? Are you kidding me? How cool is it that today I woke up and The Shaleen Show, I started getting text messages that we were number one in health. That's like huge. That's so huge. You know why? Because it's all those shows about sex that are normally like number one in health. So I don't know what you did, but apparently you gave me a ton of reviews and I love you for that. It's awesome. Actually, I think the other reason why it happened is because we've been talking about something of incredible significance. It's far bigger than what I ever realized and that's body image. It's crazy. And people really, it, we touched a nerve this week and I just, I got so many messages and some of them were incredibly depressing and sad and some of them were really uplifting. But I guess the piece that was like so surprising to me is like everybody, everybody has these issues and most of them stem from something that was said innocently, sometimes not so innocently, when we were children and how crazy it is that we just carry these things forward. I just wonder if other cultures obsess about body image the way we do. I'm not a psychologist and I'm not a psychiatrist, but yet many of the things that came up this week were so heavy, no pun intended, that I really felt like I needed to bring an expert on the show to answer some of the questions. Like I got calls about eating disorders, body dysmorphia, uh, feeling too big, feeling too small, feeling too tall, um, the color of your skin, the shape of your thighs, like everything. And, and, and the messages were, well, they were pretty serious. So I thought, you know, let, let's bring in an expert and I'm going to ask as many questions as possible. And most importantly, I wanted to bring in an expert. So for those of you who are like, okay, that's it. I, I am, I'm done allowing this to control my thoughts, allowing this to stop me from living my life. Like it is ridiculous that some of you are so tortured by the thought of your body. And so I wanted to bring on someone who could suggest how you could change that permanently. Body image is, is the way you perceive yourself. It's how you think others perceive you. And I mean, obviously, society, magazines, TV, with images of especially women's bodies and men's bodies too. And then you combine that with the messaging that you may have received as a child about your body. That maybe you were chubby or someone called you fat or chunky or big or hefty or plump or, or maybe they said you were cute or handsome or beautiful or attractive or, or maybe you were labeled as skinny or bony or scrawny or maybe people called you super tall, very short, dark, pale. Um, maybe people said that you had a tomboy's body or a girly body or an athletic body. I mean, the list goes on and on on how we label children and oftentimes those labels. And again, this is just based on what I read this week on Facebook and the messages that you left me. So many of these of these messages that you received, the comments 
that you received. You might have remembered some of them from being really young, but the ones that really stuck were the comments you heard as a preteen or early teenager. So today I've brought in the expert. She's been there. She struggled with her own body image. She has helped to heal those with bulimia, anorexia, disordered eating, overeating, emotional eating, uh, morbid obesity, and addiction to food, exercise addiction. I bring her to the show today because I wanted you to hear solutions. You know, I mean, we've talked about how painful this is for so many, but I wanted you to know that there's hope. So if you have been in search of a real solution, a permanent solution, either for yourself or for a loved one, to finally perhaps put this to rest, I invite you to listen and I invite you to share this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Michaela. So Dr. Michaela, my friend, Dr. Michaela, I had to have you on the show because I, I just, I'm not qualified to respond to the outpouring of messages I've received from people just doing the last couple of episodes about body image. And so I asked you if you would join me today and I could just ask the questions that seem to be on the minds of my listeners. Are you cool with that? Absolutely. Ask away. Well, I mean, I just don't even know where to start, except that, uh, let me first say this. I, in doing these episodes, am shocked. I'm just, I'm shocked by the sheer number of women of all sizes, underweight, overweight, at their perfect weight, great bodies, a body that's in progress. It doesn't matter. Like, it just seems like this is a prevalent thought pattern for almost all American women, that they're just not satisfied with their bodies and they feel shame about their bodies. It's it's both men and women, but it's because that's how they learn to be accepted. Is their physique in their body? I mean, that you know, elementary school, junior high. That that's our you know that that culture is where if we don't learn it at home, that's where we learn it, and that's pretty much the best way for kids to learn is oh, it's it's our outside appearance. If I look this way, then all this then people are going to like me. So one of the things that I found most interesting, and I, I saw and heard from a lot, especially women and men, it was almost prophesized how they would turn out. Like they were told at a very young age, you you are going to be overweight and obese and no one's going to love you and you're fat and you're ugly and you're disgusting. And you could hear that they, so many of them are like, now I'm 300 pounds overweight. I heard this all my life and I feel like they were right. So how much of what we're told as children, we even something like that, you tend to think you're supposed to live up to it or live down to it? Yeah, obviously, it's not a conscious decision to, to, to embrace it. But when you're, when you're a child or an adolescent or even a young teen, you're going to accept everything from the people that are, uh, that are your caregivers or the people that are around you or your closest friends. You're going to accept all of it as a truth unless you've got anything else or, or any other evidence or any other person in your life that's going to challenge it. You're going to accept it as a truth because you don't know any better. Yeah. So it's just going to it's just going to set the stage for your life. What else do you have to go on? So then what do what do these people do, especially the ones who are like I you know, that might have been my truth as a kid and I always pictured that this is probably what was 
going to happen to me, but I don't like it and I don't want it. I don't want to live this way, but yet I feel like maybe my stepdad was right or maybe my brothers were right or whoever it was that started instilling these beliefs in their head. So what's the next step when you're like, I don't want this. I don't, I don't want to think this way, but I do think this way. What you have to do at that point is you're going to have to accept the hardcore facts of reality. And let's put it into context. Let's say uh, dad made comments about the way that you looked. Mm -hmm. Um, You're Mm -hmm. not only going to have to accept, oh, okay, so people I love can um, say hurtful things, can hurt me, can reject me, whatever the case. But also, in a more general sense, people can reject me. Mm. I can get hurt. So we don't, we don't, when those moments happen in our life, we don't want to accept that because we don't want to accept the reality that is everything that we didn't believe. We didn't, we, we grow up initially believing we're not going to be hurt. We're not going to be rejected. We're not going to get abandoned. It's not supposed to happen. So we create these illusions that, oh, we can avoid that. And we can avoid it if we do these things, if we look this way. Mm. So what I help people do is to accept the hardcore facts of reality that these things will happen. But here's the great thing about it. Here's why it's worth doing it is once you can start accepting that, these parts of life, this, you know, that not only did those things happen, but they might happen again. And, you know, once you can accept that that's just a part of life and you learn about all the new strengths you have and the person you are today, then life gets really, 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 really easy. Mm, that's so good. Because, because you're not shocked when these things happen. You're not working so hard to try to make what inevitably is a part of life not happen. That's going to mm. happen. You can just live your life freely. Mm. If I am to assume that 90% of the population at some point doesn't love their body, right? There's mm-hmm. something that upsets them. There's something that you know, makes them think like, this could be so much better, et cetera. Then when, when do you know it's something you should probably get help for? Well, when it, when it has power over you. Okay. I mean, when, when, it has, when it has power over you, meaning that when you're basing your decisions uh, on it, when um, you're basing, uh, you know, when, when it's causing you emotional distress based on what you look, when, when you're starting to construct your life around it, when it has power over your life. Give me an example of how you would be, dis- uh, you would be constructing your life around this thing. Um, let's say that um, you have to spend so much time worrying and distressing about what you're going to wear, how you look. You're not able to step up and be yourself. You're not able to, to you know, just be able to feel confident in groups or around people because you're so involved in how you look or what you're wearing when it's, you know, when it's taking up more than, you know, 20% of your thought process. Mm, okay. Uh, then, then it's got power over you. And anything that has power over us uh, is coming from a negative belief. Mm. So we know we, know we want to change it. Meaning like we, we, we can't control it. Like it's like I don't, I don't want to not go to this party. I just I can't go to this party because I feel unattractive. Absolutely. And then, then that, so those are the negative beliefs. And that's what we want to change. It doesn't go away. We, ha- we have to change it. It will, it will always remain that way. The only change that it will ever take is it might flip-flop to something else or it could get worse, but it doesn't go away. Can you tell me what is body dysmorphia? So body dysmorphia is when what you see is different than what everybody else sees. When your body looks bigger than 
you know, what you, you were to ask somebody else. So the reality of what your body looks like is not, you know, I have clients who say, I, I, I get disgusted when I look in the mirror and I can see the bones in my, in my, you know, my chest and my shoulders. And, you know, it's, it's not at all what I'm seeing or what other people are seeing, but to them, it's really what they see. And when they make, when they pinch their side, in, in their minds, they've got a chunk of, you know, a pound of, of something in their hands. There's nothing there. Mm. And can that go both ways? Can that be someone who thinks that they are thinner than what they really are or someone who thinks that they're much heavier than they really are? Yeah, it goes both ways. It just depends on our experiences growing up and the messages we got. And who have you found in treating your patients, who have you found has a bigger impact on a woman's body image, her mother in her life or men in her life? It really comes down to our caregivers, mom and dad, that's where it starts. And then, you know, of course, when we start dating, you know, it's going to be the opposite sex. So it's kind of 50-50. They just reaffirm. Mm. They just reaffirm. Whenever we say, okay, well, I remember in when I was dating, when I was in high school, in order for some to impact us at that age, it already had to start somewhere. We already had to have a, a low self-esteem or, or some skewed idea about the way we look or else, you know, we wouldn't, wouldn't be happening at that age. That makes sense. And it, w- it would explain why when I asked about this topic on my Facebook wall, so many people mentioned things that they remembered someone doing or saying like when they were in puberty. But then, mm-hmm. you know, they'll like recall like, you know, I had these thoughts earlier because I remember my mom weighing me. But it, it's mm-hmm. like it really started to impact them when they were teenagers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, up until the age of eight, our beliefs are being formed from as early as you can remember, just the messages. And, and oftentimes, you know, I'll find that it's such a random comment. Uh, that a parent can make. It, you know, it's, it's not always from an abusive parent or, or some, a parent who's critical. It can be just the simplest thing uh, as seeing your mother who was always on Weight Watchers mm-hmm. and the message is, oh, you know, I, if, if my mom's not happy with her body and I come from her, then maybe I'm not as good or we're supposed to be thin or whatever the case is. But until the age of eight, that's when most of our core beliefs are formed. And what's really ironic is that the logical part of our brain is dormant until the age of eight. So all those beliefs are formed without any logic. Okay. I, I've read, and I wanted to ask you about this, that oftentimes children, especially teenagers, who start to exhibit mm-hmm. signs of anorexia, that one thing they often have in common is kind of overbearing perfectionist type parents where they have like, you know, the type of parents who pick out their clothes for them and, and expect perfection. And this ends up being the one area where they can kind of control things. Mm-hmm. And, and so what I wanted to ask about anorexia and then the opposite, which would be overeating, um, do you find uh, an overlap where someone who has an overbearing parent tends to take control by overeating? Or is it that their fear of um, not being perfect uh, kind of makes them more prone to become anorexic versus overeating? Uh, you, know, I, you know, when it comes to eating disorders, first of all, or disordered eating on, on either side of the spectrum, a good 80% of the time there's um, sexual abuse or sexual advance 
or something to that nature when it falls under sexual abuse. So we find almost 80% of the time that's there. So when it comes to control, um, it, it's it's going to fall on either end because binging and purging is control and being anorexic is, is being in control. And I have to be perfect is absolutely going to be on the spectrum of anorexia as opposed to bulimia and binging and purging. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about disordered eating because I recently did an episode on intermittent fasting and you know, it sparked a lot of questions in my own mind, like, you know, to what extreme can you take this? And it's not completely disordered. And so when I looked up the definition of disordered eating, it said dieting, skipping meals, obsessive calorie counting, um, self-worth based on your body, fasting or chronic restrained eating. I'm like, well, that's like, that's like almost everybody, you know, like, where should there be cause for concern when we're talking about disordered eating? And when do you know disordered eating has gone too far and it's now an eating disorder? We, we know personally, we all have a conscious and we know when we're, you know, doing something that we shouldn't be doing when we're skipping meals or when we start to um, fib or lie about what we're eating to people. Um, when we start to have secrets about it, we know that that's a problem. I see. That's a good, that's a good measure. We, we have our own gauge um, because when I, when I work with people, it always comes out eventually with, you know, there's this guilt and the shame because we, we typically know what we're doing. So, so say I start experimenting with my, my nutrition, and that's what a lot of listeners of The Shalene Show are just trying to figure out. That I think so many of them are searching for a way that they can live a lifestyle and not have to think about it all the time. But initially, yeah. you ha- initially have to think about it, like to go, okay, so if I adjusted to a vegan lifestyle, or if I adjust to, um, say, intermittent fasting, or going gluten-free, or whatever it is, um, intuitive eating, it all requires that you kind of change some of your eating behaviors, change your attitudes and you have to give it like a lot of thought initially to figure out like is this right for my emotional well-being for my physical well-being does this feel Mm -hmm. tortured does this feel like something I can live with I think that people really get confused by guidelines and I wondered Mm -hmm. if there's a way you can know like okay it's all consuming to you and it's a problem like what are some signs that you know um, someone's gone too far well they're skipping meals first of all uh, they're telling you one too many times they've I've already eaten. Uh-huh. I, I had lunch earlier, or I ate breakfast, you know, before I left. Um, when you start to see them pushing food around their plate, when you start to see their moods changing um, because they're not getting enough calories, they're not getting enough sleep. Um, when you start to see, I mean, there's a lot of signs. If you know, if, if they're taking it a step further, sores around their lips or mouths, you know, you know, they're purging. Mm. Um, when they're um, isolating is is a big mm-hmm. sign when you're um, you'll start to notice their personality change in general if you give them you know, say three t- if three times in a row you offer them a regular meal that they would have typically eaten and they're passing it up with an excuse you know that they're walking into disordered eating because they're not willing to eat in front of you what mm-hmm. they typically would eat when we start to walk into that disordered eating We've changed now what we're willing to eat. Mm. So you offer somebody something that they would have typically eaten. First time they might say no and come up with whatever reason. If they do it two and three times and it's something they typically would eat or they won't eat in front of you, um, that's, a, that's a great way to, to notice that, well, there's something going on there. Because people with disordered eating, they don't want to eat in front of you. 
Hey guys, thanks for allowing me to interrupt. I just wanted to jump in at this point and make a suggestion. The Shalene Show is all about being better, living with purpose, improving ourselves from the inside out. And there are so many of you who reach out to me and leave me messages asking how to stay motivated or you know, how to erase self-doubt, how to get out of your own way and do some of these things. It all boils down to one trait, confidence. Most people agree that confidence is what makes someone attractive. It's not their weight or how good looking they are or driving the right car, it's, it's confidence. And confidence can be learned, it can be improved. If you dread being in certain social situations or if you struggle with self-doubt, if you just know there's so many things you could do if you just really believed in yourself, then I want to encourage you to check out what people are saying about this program. Go to CourageousConfidenceClub.com. Okay, that's it for now. Back to the show. And so what are some of the things that are just absolutely not helpful when you're dealing with someone who you suspect may have an eating disorder? What are some of the things we shouldn't say? <laughs> well, I think any comment about their body or their eating is, is going to be not helpful for them. But it depends on your relationship with them. And I mean, if you're close with them, then it's something that you want to confront head on you know, in the most honest way. But if it's somebody that you're, it's just, you know, a, a, a random person in your life or, or just somebody that you know in general, then I think saying anything about their body, saying anything about the way they eat, saying anything about their food choices, like, wow, look at you, you're getting a whole bowl or, or wow, you know, because when we're trying to eat healthy, when we're already self-conscious and we're making a big move to eat an entire banana or, you know, something that everybody else eats and somebody makes a comment, we've, we, we just drop down into shame mm. and uh, feel like now we're never going to do that again. I see. Okay. That can send someone like spiraling back into it. So for example, in the industry that I'm in, I see people like losing weight and then they start to get tons of praise and feel really good about themselves. And they realize like, whoa, I can do this. And they start exercising and eating differently and people start to give them attention. And I've seen it happen before my very own eyes where someone slips past the point of healthy into an addiction. And I've heard people say things like, you know, you're okay, you're getting way too thin. Don't you think you're getting too thin? Or like, wow, you've lost a lot of weight. You're not trying to lose more, are you? What does an anorexic or someone who's bordering on an eating disorder, what does that do to them? It's probably the worst thing for somebody in that state because it's such positive reinforcement because they're all, you know, for them, you know, on that deeper, in that deeper place, they're just trying to find a way to be accepted, loved, whatever the case is. So the more attention that they get, whether it's negative or positive, it's just going to amp up that eating disorder because they're getting the attention that a part of them needs and wants and desires. So it's the worst thing that we could do is say anything at all. You almost, for somebody who's already in that stage, uh, you almost can't say anything because it gets to a point where the brain gets so twisted and, and twerked that whatever you say is going to be manipulated anyway. I am constantly seeing this. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm at the gym where I'm teaching classes and, and people are, I know they're walking through this. And so you just said you almost shouldn't say anything. Yet, sometimes I feel like I'm watching somebody wither away. I don't know what to say. You, you know, you got to remember that if you open up that conversation, you've just opened up a relationship. Okay. So that, that's the first thing you want to remember. If you are going to approach somebody, you want to accept you've just created a relationship on that level. But if you are going to do that, be very clear with, I don't know much about, you know, disordered eating on any kind of clinical level, but 
it just looks like this to me and I hope that everything is is healthy for you I hope that you're in a good place and I hope I didn't step over a line by saying something and I could be completely wrong but I just want you to let I want you to know that this is just what I'm feeling and noticing just be honest about it if you're gonna say something just come right out because our biggest challenges and what makes it worse is when we leave room for assumptions on either side it makes it worse so just be honest about it if you're gonna say anything at all but you're recommending instead of saying something about their body or their weight loss say I'm are you healthy I'm worried about you yeah even I'm worried about you I mean mm. this population with disordered eating is one of it's like dealing with somebody with a heroin addiction mm. it's one of the most difficult addictions to work with mm. and anything you say is going to come off wrong so yeah the best thing to say is talk about health Okay. not their body or not their food. So don't say you look like you've lost a lot of weight or I'm worried about your weight loss. Say I'm worried about I'm worried about your health. I'm worried about how you're feeling. Now I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't say I'm worried. Oh, okay. So you see if you put if you put emotions in it and this person hears that you're worried, that's exactly what they want. They want people to be worried because they need oh. that. There's a part of them that needs people to worry about them and love them and care about them and notice them. So you just keep emotion out of it. So now let's just say that I, um, it's a coworker and I see them every day and they begin to wither away and they're getting tons of compliments, but it's like, it's gone too far. And now you, you can obviously tell that something's happening, but what would you say there? Well, it, I mean, is it somebody, if it's just an acquaintance that you want to say something to? Okay. That's a good point. All right. Then let's say it's a family member. What if it's a family okay. member? Was a family member. I mean, I think if it's a family member, you are going to tell them, hey, I'm worried about this. I think you can put emotions into a family member. If it's a friend, sure. family, you could put emotions into, but somebody like that, you keep emotions out of it and you say, um, I'm noticing this about you and I'm hoping that everything is okay. Okay. And, you know, I've also heard from many people who they've told the, their loved one, you just, you need to eat more. You need to stop exercising so much. You just need to eat. Is that helpful? No. <laughs> the best thing, best thing, best thing to say. And mind you, you know, I know this because I've worked years in inpatient eating disorders. So I, you know, I know this uh, population really well. I mean, I have my own history with it. So I know it really well. The, the worst thing you can do is pressure them to eat. Again, people that are in that place are very, very needy of um, love and attention from people. And that's that part of them, that screaming for help part. So rather than eat, I'm is everything okay? I'm concerned about you emotionally. Are you mm -hmm. feeling okay? Mm -hmm. You know, just acknowledge how they're feeling, not the food piece. Wow, that's good. And then that open and that opens up that dialogue to talk about what they are feeling. I'm, I'm feeling out of control. I'm feeling like um, you know bad things are going to happen. I feel like I'm going to lose everything, whatever the case is. And what is an eating disorder? How how does it manifest in a different way for men, or does it? I think it, you know it's much of the same, but with men, they are much, much, much more secretive about it. You know, it, it's interesting because even working with you know, so many men for, you know, first of all, with, you know, sexual abuse, which like I said, it is a very large percentage of people. And even if it's not abuse, it could be an advance. It could be, it could be anything at all. With men, they're much more secretive about it. And even when they do bring it up, it's really hard for them to get to a place. Um, eventually they do where they will really acknowledge how much it hurt them to be teased when they were young about their bodies. Mm. So it's a much harder place for them to get, but they'll get there as long as 
the person that they're talking to is somebody that they feel that is not going to be judgmental of them. And that's why it's really difficult to be uh, your friend's therapist. Mm. And it really needs to be a therapist that works with them because they're not going to feel necessarily safe. So in other words, what you're saying is that if you really care about someone, none of us are equipped to help someone through that. Although we can be there for them, we can listen and we can love on them. But the most loving thing that we can do is find them a professional. It is to redirect them to a therapist. Let them know what you're noticing. If it's somebody that you do have a closer relationship, you can let them know that you're worried, but then redirect them constantly because what that person's going to do is they're going to want to commit. They want you to be their therapist. They're going to want to attach to you. And that's the last thing that you want because you're just going to walk them to their grave that way. So you want to redirect them constantly to a professional because it's way too much for anybody else to handle. It's really interesting to me the correlation you just brought up between uh, being a survivor of childhood sexual abuse and eating disorders. And so can you explain to people how, how those two are related and... Well, because for, it, there's a lot of it, it, there's a lot of different ways that people manifest it, but there's it's all in kind of uh, one little category. So you know somebody who is controlling of their food, they don't, when they were young, they didn't have anything to hold on to. They didn't have anybody to help them. They were in a position that was so vulnerable that as an adult, an eating disorder is something to hold on to. It's something I got. At least I've got this. I've got this one thing. So they hold on to it with any addiction. But it's, it's uh, as you mentioned, it's just being in control of something. One thing that they can control in their life is what they eat. And when it comes to overeating, you know, it's another way to self-soothe like any addiction. It's also if I put on this weight, nobody's going to get to me. Nobody can touch me. Nobody's going to want to touch me if I'm this heavy. Mm. So it's a level of control in whatever way that we can manifest it. But for people, that are really getting into that kind of way of thinking, for them, it's all they've got. It's all they've got. It's all I got is this one thing is this eating disorder. And so can that be just be an obsession with controlling your body, whether it's to make your body uh, bigger or smaller or super defined or super like, is all of that sometimes related? Can it be, I should say? It is because we learned that, okay, if, if I look a certain way or if I maintain, like with the over-exercising, people are going to love me or like me or what have you. It manifests to a place where it becomes so huge that if we give that up, if I stop exercising, if I stop focusing on my weight, I'm going to lose everybody. So it becomes so detrimental that I'm going to lose every person in my life. I'm not going to have anybody. And then, you know, our biggest fear, I'm going to be alone if I don't maintain this exercise or this eating this way or this obsession or whatever the case is. Do you recommend that people who are going to look for a therapist, look for help, like, you know, they get it. Do you recommend that they see a therapist who specializes in eating disorders? I'm, an, I'm a little biased on this. I recommend they see a therapist who is trained in EMDR therapy, mm -hmm. eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. You know, it, it's, it's a different way of how we're looking at the belief systems and the way the brain works. I recommend they work with a therapist like that. And because I want people to come to therapy and I've been looking for a way for years, how can I explain pain and suffering in a way that makes people want to go to therapy? It's not, it's not painful in the way that people think. It's, it's it it's you grow you become powerful you be, you become very empowered mm. and most of all what people don't realize is you gain such a sense of control when you 
understand and you can go back and you can look at what's happening psychologically. You do feel a sense of control. And that's why people keep coming uh, to therapy once they start. If it was that painful, they'd come and they'd give up. Mm. So is that one of the reasons why you created in session? I mean, obviously, we both know that people benefit from therapy and we're both big advocates of it. But, you know, there's so many people don't have the perspectives that that people that come to therapy have. And I wanted to create a program that, you know, people could utilize on their own to just experience what in what session, what therapy can feel like and and how empowering it can be. And, you know, because therapy can be expensive, you know, because you, you hear all the time, I can't afford it or I don't right. have insurance or what have you. People really uh, miss out on on that experience and, and being able to have those changes in their life. And, you know, there's the additional stigma with therapy, which is, you know, putting themselves out there and, and well, if people know I'm going to therapy, they're going to think something's wrong with me. So what's up with that? That drives me crazy. Like, do you think that will change? Do we have to call it something other than therapy for that to change? The smartest people I know, like the people who I want to spend time with, they all are like, oh, dude, therapy is like, it's awesome. It's like, it's that cutting edge that so many people are afraid to do. But why is there so much stigma attached to it? I just think it comes from years and years and years. All of the people that I see are, I don't have any non-functioning clients. They're all successful people. They're all entrepreneurs. They're all very high-functioning people that come to therapy. I think smart people understand that therapy is just a tool to help them to better what they already have, the strengths they already have, and and to figure out how they're going to keep moving forward. So it's, it's nothing to be ashamed of, but because of that stigma, people really miss out on that experience. And that's mm. why I created in session is to give them a taste of, of, of how they can experience what people are experiencing in session and for you know, s- a, a, such a minimal cost. I love that you said that people feel that you didn't want people to miss out because I swear that's exactly how I feel about it. It's why I'm so, you know, it's why you hear me talk about it all the time. And I love it when people are like, oh my gosh, you were so right. Why did I torture myself for 30 plus years? Like, why didn't I do this sooner? So I think it's a really cool thing. But can you explain, like, how does this work? Are you doing therapy on people, like virtually? Like, how does it work? Well, you know, what I'm doing is, first of all, I'm I'm helping them. I'm creating a relationship with them because one thing I've learned is with anybody, whether it's a therapist or anybody, we don't listen to people unless we trust them because we're we're so suspicious because we make these Mm -hmm. assumptions. And why are they telling me this? And what are their intentions? And they're that little voice is going to come on and and, and tweak and manipulate. So I create a relationship with them by telling them about myself and helping them to see, look, you can be a professional. You can be somebody who's, who's successful and still have these mental blocks, still have these ways of thinking, still have these battles in your head to help them to know who I am so that I can bring that that barrier down. And this is what we want to do as therapists, bring bring that defense down so they'll listen. Then I go into sessions with talking about some of the, the main issues that people have, which is across the board confidence and, okay. um, and clarity. People always come in and say, well, I know I'm supposed to create these tasks and goals, and but I don't even know what my goals are. I don't know what my tasks are. And I certainly, I don't know what my purpose is, or okay. I feel like I'm living my purpose, but I'm not happy. So confidence, clarity. And acceptance. Oh. And acceptance is what we talked about in the beginning. And people really, they don't put a lot into acceptance because it sounds like, oh, well, it's just a decision. 
it's a very non-invasive, non-scary program to give them that really strong foundation so they feel powerful and confident to take it to the next level. Okay, so I, in session, if I'm um, not mistaken, is all audio, is that correct? It's it's all audio. Well, it's audio. You've got um, video in there as well um, to explain each session. You know, sometimes we want to look back and be able to refer on what it was that we listened to. And, and a lot of us are visual. So you've got the transcripts in there too. But it really just gives you, you know, the people that have gone through in session already, are, you know, they're having all these aha moments like, wow, and things just fall into place and make sense. This is, I'm not trying to paraphrase, but it sounds to me like, because I'm familiar with, obviously, the EMDR intensive work you do where people fly into California, which not very many people can afford to do, and spend five days or 10 days with you. And I, I know you've had people who have spent a month with you. You know, the average person just doesn't have piles of money laying around. Um, but yet, you know, to do an EMDR intensive, it's scary for people to think about doing that, not just the financial commitment, but the just going there, right? And so it sounds to me like, and I don't mean to paraphrase, but is in session kind of like a uh, an on-ramp for people who just want to experience the power that they have to be able to change these things when they are when they're working with a professional like yourself, when they're in session with you to address these things like confidence and self-acceptance and clarity? Yes, it's it, there's not this big hidden unknown because mm. I think that's what's so scary about therapy is it's this big unknown, scary, dark, shadowy place. Like I don't know what's going to happen, so it just really opens up everything and says, "This is what is going to happen. This is what's happening to you psychologically. This is how you're going to feel." And then I walk them through that so that they feel really empowered and in control of how that looks and works. Is this something that I do like every day, or do I do it on a day? when I, you know, have like a job interview and I feel insecure or is this very structured? Like how, how do people go through this? There, you know, some people like the structure, you know, when do I do this? So I created a structure for them, but it's not a structure that you need to have to walk through it. You can listen to it, which a lot of people are doing, you know, right before an interview or, you know, right before you're about to walk into a meeting or, you know, you can listen to it at any time. And mm. just it, it, all it does is it puts your mind into a, a place, a perspective, a mind shift so that you understand what's happening, you feel in control, and you don't have all that other stuff happening uh, that usually self-sabotages those moments. So it gives you that power. You can use it any time of the day and you can listen to them over and over again. I always tell people, listen to each session uh, well enough to the, so that you could rephrase it, reiterate it, and mm -hmm. share it again with a friend uh, and be able to know it that well. I love that. That's that I believe that's how we learn. That's how we make things uh, a new way of thinking for ourselves, not just like hearing an idea, but owning it and having it become part of us. I understand you do uh, some free training, too. Where can people learn more about changing their beliefs? Yes, I'm doing those on a regular basis or as often as I can. And it's a, it's a one hour free training. It, it really breaks it down with these exercises and just putting it right out there so that people are getting, you know, not just talk, but I want to walk them through certain things to help them to see on their own mm. what's happening as they associate it to their own life. So it's drmichaela.com forward slash webinar. Cool. And that's a free webinar. Yes. It's free webinar. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Cool. Well, I really appreciate that because I want to give people a place, um, especially those who are like, okay, enough, enough. I'm done struggling with this. Um, I realize that there is help out there. 
And the first step is is education, just listening to someone like you who's been there, who's helped hundreds of people, now thousands of people, to change these things. Because there there is hope. You can change this. And it's not easy, but it can be done. And the rewards are ridiculously amazing. So, Dr. McHale, I just want to say thank you so much for letting me just pick your brain and ask the questions that so many of the Shaleen Show listeners have on this topic. And of course, for those of you who would like to learn more about Dr. Michaela, it is drmichaela.com. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. I hope that we took the mystery and the scariness out of the process because it's there's nothing scary or nothing mysterious about it. It's just life and it's fun and it's empowering and it's and it's just amazing and amazing experience. So I hope people get motivated to just, you know, keep walking forward into it. Lifers, thank you so much for being such a huge part of this awareness, for being so vocal in your opinions and your experiences, being vulnerable, being honest, supporting each other, um, just allowing this conversation to happen. We're going to heal people. There are solutions. There is a way for you to change your mindset. There's a way to reprocess some of these early childhood memories. There's There's a way for us to change this for our own children. And I think that's what we have to talk about. So I know so much of the last couple of episodes have been really heavy and sad. And, you know, and I got some like super rude, insensitive speak pipe messages from people who are like, get over it. You know, no matter what the episode was, there was always someone who had to call in anonymously and say, like, get over it. Like, why are you using that as an excuse? No matter what the episode was about. So there's always people who are closed minded and have a difficult time just just hearing that others are being honest and sharing their struggle. I think the next part of this, the next piece where we need to go next is to figure out what is it that parents can do right? What is it that we as friends, as family members, as a society, what can we do that makes things better? So here's what I'd love to do. I'd love to invite those of you who have a really positive body image, like You just grew up never hearing anything negative, at least from your family members, um, or or maybe you even escaped being teased as a kid or or feeling insecure or having self-doubt about your body. But that's who I want to hear from. I honestly want to hear from those of you who had an incredibly positive experience and feelings about your body because of what your parents did or didn't say. Um, because of your your childhood, because I'd love to just figure out like how did that happen, so that maybe we can take a look at how we can all improve. I mean, that's what it's about, right? Growth is about looking at our mistakes, figuring out how we can better, and and growth is exciting. Growth makes us feel alive. Growth, in my opinion, is success. I just want to be a better human. I want to be a better mom. I want to be a better wife. I want to be a better podcaster. I just want to be better. And that's fun. And it's what I wake up to do every single day. You know, I I thank God that he's in my life. I thank God that so many of you have been called to this this podcast and that you 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 care enough to be a part of the conversation that you share the episodes that you go to iTunes and leave reviews I know I say that a lot but honestly it, it's how we reach people and when we reach people we can save people and we can make people better and we can save relationships and help people find balance and happiness it's all about happiness and you make me super happy because because you're beautiful you're beautiful body and soul you are the bomb dot com.